500 feet, turn left. Or right, I'm actually not sure. Good morning, Miles City. Thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to be with us. And for you that are watching online, we want to thank you for tuning in to us. And if this is your first time with us, thanks for taking a chance and checking us out. And we do want to welcome you to our first week of True North. We're excited about this series and as we continue in the book of John and I got a question for you guys as we get started today. How many today are thankful that there are map apps on your phone? Is anybody thankful for those map apps? Much better participation this service than last service. Like five people raised their hand. I was a bunch of liars. But anyway, I appreciate the honesty. That's, and I just feel like this is going to go better already. All right. I'm old enough to remember a time before those apps on our phones. In fact, um, when I first started paying attention to maps was when I was a kid. We'd go on trips, and my parents, before we'd go, they'd go to AAA, and we'd get the triptych. Anybody remember the triptych? I mean, these things, all the people old were remembering these things, all right? But the triptych, basically, for you young people is you would go to AAA, and you say, I want to go to this place, and a couple days later, you go back, and they'd have this cool flip book and the highlight, the, the thing would be highlighted. And I remember as a kid being so excited when you'd flip a page because it was like, hey, there's 82 pages in this and we're on page three. This is going to be a great trip, all right? But no, you could flip the things and get going. And then after the trip tick, there was a thing that came out called the Thomas Guide. Now, the Thomas Guide wasn't as popular. Does anybody remember the Thomas Guide? So I used to work at a church that we would go and visit folks when they came and visited, give them a bag of cookies. And so we're always looking for people's addresses. The Thomas Guide was this nice, concise, uh, bound uh, map that basically in the back it would list all the streets in that city and surrounding area. And then it would tell you exactly what page it was on and exactly what grid to find it. So there was much more convenient, man, you could get there and you could find things without having to open this huge map out and things like that. They were awesome. Then we got excited because this program came out called MapQuest. Does anybody remember MapQuest? I mean, it's still around, all right? And now, instead of carrying maps in our glove box, now we could go on the computer and this thing called the World Wide Web. And we could type in and say, okay, we want to go to this point. Man, you could put up like 15 stops. And you could have all these stops, and it would print out the map for you, but it also print out written directions and how long to be on each thing. So now you're just carrying a piece of paper into your car. And that was great. But then came the TomTom. And the TomTom was just life-changing. I mean, the fact that you could plug this into your cigarette lighter and then put that suction cup on your windshield and just have that thing, and it was so cool. It was like this badge of honor, like, yes, I am rich enough. And I mean, if you were a little richer than the TomTom, you could have yourself the Garmin, right? And you were like, "Uh, I've arrived, I have a Garmin. And then it was like you could get the wide HD screen and all this stuff, and we're just, it was just so incredible that you could do that. But then... September 23rd, 2008, a day that will go down in history. You say, why is that so important? That is the day that Google announced Google Maps for your phone. And now Google Maps, I mean, it's just life-changing. It's like this incredible thing to have. So I did the math on this. If you were born after the year 1992, you have no idea what I'm talking about until I got to this. So for us 
that were born in the early 1900s, you know what I mean? Like the 70s and 80s and 50s and 60s. We know this stuff, right? But you haven't had to go through this. But what if we, what if we got rid of all the maps, we got rid of all the apps, and we went back to using one of these? Now, I don't know about you, but I would be totally lost. I mean, I think it's so cool when I watch like Indiana Jones and he pulls out the map and he's got the compass and, uh, you know, and, and then if you're watching some movie and they're on ships or in planes and they got all these other tools out and they're using the compass to determine, I would be totally lost. I'd be like, well, let's, I, I know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. That's about the extent of what I can do. But imagine us having to figure out how to get around with a compass. Well, just head due north, 300, what I would say. We'd be like, we're done. But one of the interesting things that uh, I figured out, not I personally, but is that your compass actually, when it says you're going north, it's not really pointing you to true north. It's pointing you to magnetic north. Okay, and some of you might know that. You're a nerd, but you might know that already, all right? <laughs> I see some of you shaking your head, and yes, you are. But no, I'm just joking, all right? But no, it doesn't point you. In fact, your iPhone, if you pull your iPhone out and you go to the compass, if you go into settings and pull up compass, it'll ask you if, it, if you want it to point you to true north. Because true north is different than magnetic north. Magnetic north moves around. It's the magnetic north pole, and it can move. And sometimes, sometimes they line up. Sometimes they're the same. But most of the time, it's a little off. And so if you're using a compass to go, North, you're actually going a little bit east of north or a little bit west of north. So as we were talking about this and Travis was laying out his ideas for this message series in John and then John Bauer suggested the true north thing, I, I got thinking about this idea of, you know what, that's kind of like the Christian life. It really is. We want to head in the right direction. I mean, let's talk about today. Here you are sitting here in church and unless you got tricked, you know what you came to church. You knew that we were going to open up scripture and we we're going to say, hey, this is what we believe is true. This is what we believe should be your true north in your life. And so most of you know that we have this idea. But what happens is I think a majority of us in this room, we want to head that way. But many times we get knocked off course a little bit. When we walk outside, it's easy when we're sitting here as a congregation and sitting together. Man, this is exciting. But when we walk outside of this building and we face what is what we call real life, it gets hard. You know, you might go to work tomorrow and you might talk to some other people that they went to service today and they start talking about, you say, well, what did you hear you know, talked about? And they start talking about what was talked about at their church. And you're like, man, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. That could be, that could be right. And, the, and they, they might be a Mormon. They might be a Jehovah Witness. They might be Muslim. They might be Lutheran. They might be Catholic. But you say, that, that sounds pretty moral. That must be okay. And then talking about morality, we talk about what, what is the right morals to have. If you're a student, your morals get challenged all the time. If you're in a relationship, how moral do I have to be in this relationship? How far can I go without going too far? If you're in the business world, you might have a boss that comes to you and asks you, hey, will you please just change this on this report? It's not really going to hurt anybody. In fact, it's going to help you and it's going to help me if you'll just lie just a little bit on this report. Been in that industry where, hey, I was a waiter at one time and I was in Bible college and they said, hey, you work for $2.10 an hour plus tips and all the amount of tips that you have to report is the amount that gets you up to whatever the minimum wage was back in the dark ages, $5 or five twenty-five. 
But I made more than that. Yeah, but you don't have to write it on your time card. Oh, so I'll just lie to the government. Okay. But it wasn't hurting anybody. We live in this constant state of, hey, I know what drinking does to my body. And I know that some of us say we can't control drinking or maybe we come home and we just need to take the edge off the day. But we know where that drink leads to. Maybe we have a grudge against somebody and instead of sitting down and having a conversation with them, we just sit on it for a while and we just fester and it just becomes, oh, it's no big deal and it just gets packed away because either we don't want to have to confront them or we don't want to have to admit that we're wrong. It's not a big deal. It's not not a big deal. Maybe when we get home and the television that we watch or the movies that we watch, I mean, you know, the world isn't going to blatantly come out and say, hey, the direction you're going is the wrong direction. They're just going to nudge it a little bit. Try watching a sitcom today where there's a family unit and the dad doesn't look like a total idiot. Or maybe a relationship in a movie where they're in love and so it's okay for them to sleep together. They're not married, but they're in love, so that's okay. We just start getting nudged off just a little bit. Just pushed a little bit. And if we're honest, the noise of this world bombards us so often and so much that sometimes it's just hard to fight back. In fact, sometimes we just want to give up. We're like, hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to break my Bible open during the week. And man, that's just going to have to be good enough. The thing is, is that's not what Jesus has called us to. Because he wants to be the true north in our life. What's heartbreaking is so many that know Jesus and follow him, sometimes they head in the wrong direction blindly. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in that spot. You say, I do love Jesus and I want to head in the right way. I want to encourage you today to see, are you heading in true north? Maybe today you walked into this room and you're searching and you have questions and you're not sure if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But I want to encourage you through this passage, you'll see that He lays a foundation for his disciples to follow and for us to follow. And one of the last conversations he has with them. The question we want to ask ourselves today as we go through this, is Jesus my true north? Is Jesus my true north? So before we dive into this passage, could we just take a moment and pray together? Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we're thankful that you care for us and we're thankful for Lord, you supplying scripture to us and and the opportunities that we have to open your word and to read and to have a, a guide for our life. Lord, we're thankful for the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us when we give our life to you and that guides us and directs us and fills us. Lord, I just ask that over the next few minutes that you would calm our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would be open to what you have to say to us, that we'd be willing to listen to the word of God willing to listen to the Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, we want you to be honored with what goes on, and so we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be in John chapter number 14, and John chapter 14 through 17 is known as the upper room discourse. It's the last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in a setting like that before he he goes to the cross. And 
During this night, there are some big things dropped on the disciples. Sometimes we forget about the humanity of the disciples. Just in the previous chapter, Jesus points out at the Last Supper that, hey, one of you is is going to betray me. And so they're all sitting there going, ooh, who's going to do that? And then he drops the bomb that, hey, I'm getting ready to die. My time on earth is drawing to a close. I'm about ready to leave. And then he looks at Peter and Peter says, man, I'm going to follow you to the end. And he says, Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. Now, that's some heavy stuff. That's some things that would be disheartening. That's some things that would be discouraging. Here's Jesus, the man that they've been following for three and a half years. They'd given up everything they had to follow this guy. And now he's telling them he's leaving. And not only that, that they're going to betray him and deny him and all this stuff. And man, this is an intense situation. Sometimes we forget these guys had only been following Jesus for three years. It's not like they were some theologians that knew all the answers. These guys were just out there minding their own business. And Jesus came and got them and said, hey, come follow me. And yeah, they'd seen some incredible things, but three, three and a half years is not that long. And so he gets to chapter number 14 and he says, hey, let me give you some things. I want to share some things with you. And so that's where we're at today. Now today I want to do something a little different than we normally do. I want you to help me read this passage. And so in a minute, we're going to read John 14, 1 through 12. And I'm going to ask you, or 14, we're, I'm going to ask you to read every other verse with me. But I'm going to ask you to stand, all right? So let's all stand together and let's read this passage. I'll read verse 1 and then you read verse 2, so on and so forth. If it's yellow, read it, all right? And I'll keep reading with you, all right? John 14, 1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you so much. You did a great job. You can have a seat. Some of you are like, I remember doing this as a kid. All right, and reading. All right. But here's the deal. 
John 14, you might be familiar with that passage. If you've been to a funeral where a pastor preached, a lot of times we'll use John 14 at the start to comfort people's hearts. But the disciples are worried. They're hurting. There's some uneasiness. There's some doubts. There's some fears. And that's why in this passage, John 14, 6 is so important where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He said, listen, I want to show you some things. I want to share some things with you that are going to calm your hearts. In fact, there was three things that he wanted them to see. He wanted to see that there was a place for them to go. There was a person for them to know. And there was provision for them to grow. And so as we look at this passage today, we don't want to forget that was the goal. Jesus was sharing with his disciples. He wanted to understand, hey, things are going to be okay. And here's why. So as we look back at John 14 and we look at the first four verses, remind, remind yourselves of what it says. It said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. He wants them to find comfort in the fact that he is going to prepare a place for them. When you get to verse 6, he says, Jesus says, I am the way. But I'll be honest, there are times in my life when I'm on a way and I want to know, what, where is this way going? Are we going the right way? Is this the right direction? Some of us are um, directionally challenged. You ever go to the mall and you walk into a store and when you walk out, you walk out going the same way you came from? My wife has a hard time with that. It's fun. Sometimes we wonder, am I, am I on the right path? Am I going the right way? Jesus said, listen, I am the way. And the way that this that I'm preparing for you, this way leads to a place called heaven. This way leads to a place called heaven. Jesus is telling them about their new home. He wants them to understand, listen, I'm going to get you ready. I'm going to get the place where I want you to live ready. In scripture, heaven is referred to as several things. Sometimes it's described as a kingdom or an inheritance. Sometimes it's a country. Sometimes it's a city. And here in John chapter 14, it says it's your home. It's your home. When we think about home, many of us think of different things. For some of us, home is a state or a city. Where are you from? Many times, well, I'm from Michigan. My dad was in the ministry. My dad was a pastor. I, I moved every couple years for a lot of my life. So there's not necessarily a place where I say, this is my home. But for some of you, you might have lived in the same house all your childhood and teenage years, and your parents might still live there, and to you, that is home. But I would challenge you that really what makes home home is not the place, but the people at the place. This summer, my wife and I, uh, we moved. We moved from Canton up to Plymouth, and I walked through our house in Canton that we'd lived in for five years, and I walked through there with it empty. And there were some good memories in that house, and there was things that I remember, but you know what? It didn't feel like home anymore. And the reason it didn't feel like home anymore is because my wife wasn't there and my kids weren't there. Home is where my wife and my kids are at. 
Today, my parents live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've never lived a day in my life in Cincinnati, Ohio. But if I go down and visit my parents and walk into the place that they live, you know what it's going to feel like to me? Home. You know why? Because my mom and dad are there. When Jesus said he is the way, Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Now, don't get it wrong. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Heaven is a beautiful place. The beauty and the splendor of heaven will absolutely amaze us and blow our minds, but that's not what's going to make heaven great. What makes heaven great is that Jesus is there. Jesus is our home. This place isn't our home. And yet so many times we get attached to the things of this world and they become so important to us that it knocks us off pursuing our true north. Not a lot. We know that one day we're going to pass away and we know we can't take anything with us. We've heard all the jokes. There's no U-Hauls attached to hearses and all that stuff. We understand that. But we still get attached to the things here on earth. She said, this isn't your home. Paul reminded the Philippians of this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 27. Verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do I see heaven as my home? This world is just a temporary place for us. Our eternal home is found in heaven. We shouldn't feel comfortable here. Sometimes we get too comfortable, and what happens is we just get knocked off course just a little bit. Heaven's our home. The passage goes on in verse number five. Thomas comes to Jesus. Now, you guys know Thomas. Doubting Thomas, always asking questions. And we kind of throw him under the bus for it, but Thomas was one of those guys. He just needed the information. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus, again, is laying the groundwork, helping them understand that, hey, I am the son of God. I am God. But then Philip chimes in in verse number eight. Look what Philip says. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us still not clicking. It goes on to say this. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. So it reminds me of that movie, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but Chris Rock. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I think of, I think of that rush hour, right? I think of that, um, I think of that Jesus just looking at him right there, like, How many times do I got to say this for you to get this? I am the father. The father is me. See, they needed to see the deity of Christ, the fact that he was God. This is how Jesus spoke with such authority because of who he was. He didn't say, I speak the truth. He said, I am the truth. I am in the father and the father in me. And see, what he wanted them to understand was the person that they needed to know was Jesus person for them to know was Jesus. They could have confidence in a place because of the person. We live in this age of postmodernism where it says there is no absolute truth. And I beg to differ with you because there is absolute truth. 
It's found in Scripture, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the absolute truth. There's no question in our mind. There should be no question if we follow Jesus Christ that he is the truth. Why is this so important? Because if he is the truth, not only is this promise true, but every other promise he made to us is true because he is the truth. You have to understand this is important for us to comprehend. This is important for us to believe because if I'm going to follow something, I want it to be true. I don't want it to be a lie. He wants them to understand. I am the truth. Sometimes we fail to love Jesus because of for who he is. Instead, we tend to love Jesus for what he can do for us. The disciples, they look at Jesus and he keeps trying to tell them, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. I am his son. He is my Father. I am God. You are seeing the Father when you see me. And they're like, show us. Sometimes we do that with Jesus. I believe that Jesus is good. Why do you believe he's good? Because of what he does for me. We have to ask ourselves this question. Do we love him for who he is or what he does? I'm not trying to say that what he does isn't important. I'm not trying to say that it's not great that God does things for us because he cares for us as his children. But sometimes we have to just make up our mind we're going to love him for who he is. Because there's going to be times he doesn't do what we want him to do. We've got to put our trust and our faith in him and believe that he is the absolute truth. He is the true north in our life. He is the way, and so I'm going to trust him even when things don't go my way. There's one last part to this passage today. We've seen the way. We've seen the truth. Now let's see the life. The place is heaven. The person is Jesus, but look at the provision he gives us. Look at verse number 12 of John 14. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There's two things that making Jesus our true north gives us in life. First one is found in that first verse, greater works. Greater works. Now, a lot of people sometimes get hung up on this. In fact, I promise you can go home and find somebody speaking in, on this passage that says, hey, this is telling us that we're going to do greater things that, than what Jesus did. I have a problem with that. And there's other people, too. I'm not the only one. But uh, I don't know the last time that I've walked on water. I don't know the last time that I've turned water into wine. I can't tell you a time that I've ever made the lame walk or the blind see or the deaf hear. Hey, if I'm supposed to do greater things than him, then I should be able to do those things plus more. I've never raised anyone from the dead. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't have the power to raise myself from the dead like he did. So this isn't meaning that, hey, what you do is going to be greater than what I did. Did some research and there was one commentary that I really liked. They said what he's referring to is there could be four different things right here. The first one is he's saying you're going to do greater things geographically. The disciples traveled the globe spreading the gospel farther than Jesus did. He could have been referring to ethnically, 
Jesus came to the Jews, but they went to all men. They could have done greater things numerically. By Acts chapter 2, 3,000 had been added to the church. And they could do greater things spiritually. Jesus, when he was here on earth, raised the physically dead, but the disciples were able to witness the spiritually dead come to life. The distinction is what Jesus was able to accomplish here on earth compared to what he is accomplishing from heaven through his people here on earth. So I want to encourage you, don't say, well, Jesus said I can do greater things. Well, he's still the one doing things through us. And then the second thing that he promises here is that our prayers will be answered. Is that anything that you ask in my name? And we look at that and we're like, well, man, that's if I say in Jesus' name I pray, amen, then everything I just prayed should be answered. What Jesus is trying to point out is that when we ask in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, God, I can't, and you can. John Piper said this. It says, prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Let me say that again. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Prayer shouldn't be, God, do these things for me. It's, God, I can't do anything without you. So the provision that he's offered me, I, we have to ask ourselves, is my life marked by the provision of his power? Am I allowing God to work through me to accomplish greater things than what he accomplished here on earth? Am I living a life covered in humble prayer? Are those the marks of my life? Do I really believe that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life? Is life with him better than life on my own? Sometimes we can get knocked off of our true north. We can get knocked off of the true way because we try to do things in our own power and our own strength instead of living in the power and the provision that he gives us for our life. Today during worship, Isaac walked us through part of Isaiah chapter 35. I just want to read a few verses from that passage. Isaiah 35 is an incredible passage. And in verse number eight, it says this. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. And this is my favorite part of this passage. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Because if it weren't for that part, I wouldn't be on this way because I'm a fool. This is going to be straight up honest. There's been a lot of times in my life that I've been a fool and God kept me on the way. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Jesus is saying that's what the true way can bring you. Is that what my life is marked by? Is my life marked by everlasting joy and gladness? That's what pursuing Jesus as your true north brings you. So today, we looked at three things. We looked at the way leads to a place called heaven. We looked at the truth is the person of Jesus Christ. And the life is the provision of his power. Where are you at on the path? Here's the situation. 
Satan is no fool. Satan, when you're pursuing Jesus Christ, isn't going to come along and try to get you to make a 180. He knows he's not going to get you that way. He's just going to try to bump you just a little bit. Just a little bit. And then a couple weeks later, just a little bit more. And before you know it, you might be off 90 degrees. Oh, it didn't happen suddenly. It happens just a little bit out of time. We have to make sure that we're constantly resetting ourselves to the true north. Not, not the magnetic north. Not what the world is trying to pull us to. But what is the true north? We have to pursue Jesus in everything that we do. And it's usually the little things that get us. I got uh, convicted while I was working on this message this week. Um, I coach girls basketball. And um, I know that when you look at me, you think of, hey, that would be a great girls basketball coach, especially to a younger girls team. It's, it's awesome. And I used to be pretty fiery as a coach. And I've calmed down quite a bit. I still have my moments. But one of the things that I've figured out is um, a couple weeks ago, man, I laid into a ref. Now, I coach at a Christian school. Everybody that goes there knows that I'm a pastor. In fact, there's people here today that I coach with. The fact that they still came is a testament of God's grace. But I got convicted while I was writing this. I'm like, you idiot. What if you're the only person that that guy knows that's a Christian? And you just chewed him out because he didn't call a jump ball quick enough. See, it's just the little things. I know the big things to watch out for in my life. I got guardrails up for the big things. Sometimes the little things start knocking me off. And before I know it, I'm not pursuing Jesus with everything, with everything in my life. No, it's most of the time. But there's some things I want to do on my own. Today, maybe you're sitting here and you're following Jesus and you're pursuing Jesus. Can I encourage you to pursue him with everything that you have? Not only in the big things, but the little things. And maybe today you walked in today and you're like, I'm not pursuing Jesus. In fact, I'm still trying to figure out if that's the direction that I want to go. Well, Jesus said that in him we can have everlasting joy and gladness. We live in a world full of sadness and Jesus said, I have an answer that's going to bring you some joy and gladness in your life if you just pursue me. This life is hard. His life is difficult. It's, it's full of pitfalls. It's full of disappointment. It's full of heartbreak. The reason we use this passage so much when we preach funerals is because it brings hope. Today, maybe that's the hope that you need. And here's the, here's the reason that Jesus said this. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life because we're sinners and our sin separates us from God. And that sin has to be paid for. And the way it gets paid for, if we do it on our own, is that we spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Eternal sorrow, eternal sadness, eternal damnation. But Jesus loved us so much that he said, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to pay the price for their sin. That's why he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose three days later so that he has, could show that he has the power over sin and death. 
There's not anything in your life that God can't handle. Not one of you has ever done something that is too far gone. As Jesus pursued you on the cross, he said, listen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today, maybe that's the decision that you need to make. Maybe you need to get on this path, on this way that is Jesus Christ. So if you just bow your heads in an attitude of prayer right now, and if, if that's the decision that you are ready to make today, and you say, today is the day that I want to give my life to Christ. There's never been a time in your life when you've made that decision. Say something like this to him. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. God, I confess my sins to you. And I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, but I also want to thank you for rising again from the dead. And today, I set aside my pride and I put my faith and trust in you and only you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Lord, we're grateful today for those that have made that decision. And I just ask that right now your Holy Spirit would speak peace to their heart. Lord, that you would bring some hope, some joy, some gladness into their life that can only come from you. God, I ask today for those of us that know you as our Savior, that you would encourage us to continue to pursue you with everything that we have. You are the true way. God, lay on our hearts and our minds the things that are pulling us off that path or maybe just knocking us off just a little bit. Solomon wrote, the little foxes spoil the vine, Lord. So many times it's just those little things that can cause us to get off course. Lord, help us to be willing to give those up to you. Help us not to value anything that is in our life more than we value you. Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for you that gave your life to Christ today, first of all, can I just congratulate you? And I wanna encourage you to let somebody know that you made that decision. It could be the person that invited you. You could let me know as you leave. There's a place on the green card that you can mark today. I put my faith in Christ. You can text the word Mile City to 94,000. There's a prompt on there for that. I say, why do you wanna know so bad? Why do you want us to tell us? Tell somebody. I think doing life together is better. And you might have a question. You might want somebody to pray for you. We'd be happy to do that. We want to encourage you to, in that decision that you made.